First Thessalonians chapter 3, beginning in verse 1. Therefore, when we could no longer endure it, we thought it good to be left in Athens alone and sent, and sent Timothy, our brother and minister of God, and our fellow laborer in the gospel of Christ, to establish you and encourage you concerning your faith, that no one should be shaken by these afflictions. For you yourselves know that we are appointed to this. For, in fact, we told you before when we were with you that we would suffer tribulation just as it happened, as you know. For this reason, when I could no longer endure it, I sent to know your faith, lest by some means the tempter had tempted you and our labor might be in vain. But now that Timothy has come to us from you and brought us good news of your faith and love, and that you always have good remembrance of us, greatly desiring to see us as we also to see you. Therefore, brethren, in, our, in all our affliction and distress, we were comforted concerning you by your faith. For now we live if you stand fast in the Lord. For what thanks can we render to God for you, for all the joy with which we rejoice for your sake before our God, night and day praying exceedingly that we may see your face and perfect what is lacking in, in your faith? Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus Christ direct our way to you, and may the Lord make you increase and abound in love to one another and to all, just as we do to you, so that we may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all his saints. Let's pray together. Father, we are ready for you to teach us, to instruct us, to encourage us, to further conform us into the image of your Son, uh, to just give us all that we need right now. We've already been uh, worshiping you in singing and in giving, and we also now want to worship you in the study of your word. I pray that you would help each one of us here to be ready to obey whatever you tell us by your Holy Spirit. We thank you that we are a family here, Lord, and we thank you who you've brought together. We know that you have handpicked each one of us to be here among one another, and we value that, and we're thankful to you for that. We couldn't have orchestrated this if we would have tried. So we commit this time to you. We ask that you'd set it aside for your holy use, Lord. We know it's a holy time, and we pray, Lord, that you would be glorified in it. In Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. Well, as we've been looking at, Paul is on his second missionary journey. He's writing from Corinth, and he's writing to this church for whom he had tremendous love. We saw in chapter 1 that Paul spoke of their tremendous growth, and he described it in these terms, your work of faith, your labor of love, your patience of hope. He also mentioned to them and encouraged them that they had become examples to all in Macedonia and Achaia. That's a big thing. For the Apostle Paul to tell him, you're examples. And, and he's not meaning examples of what not to do. That's not, that's not good if you end up being an example of what not to do. I think all of us here at times have been that. But he's not telling him that. He's telling him you've been good examples of, to all in Macedonia and Achaia. He also tells him that from you, the word of the Lord has sounded forth not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place. So the testimony of the Lord was on their lips. They preached the gospel. They, they testified about who God is and what he wanted to do for anyone that would put their trust in him. 
And lastly, he told them, your faith toward God has gone out so that we do not need to say anything. So the, the, the culmination of their faith and what they were obeying the Lord in went out and was prolific and influenced others so much so that, that the Apostle Paul said, we don't have to say anything good about you guys because everyone already knows it. If we had come to you, or them rather, and would have said to them how, how much you're growing in the Lord, they would have said, old news, Paul. We already know it. You're just telling us that something that we already know. And so that must have been tremendously encouraging. Then last week we saw in chapter 2, Paul began to defend himself. Apparently there were some accusations against him. He felt a need to establish to them well, you know, his legitimacy. And, and so he tried to establish, and I believe he did very uh, proficiently, that he was not seeing the Thessalonians as a means to an end. That's very important for us to see. Because any time that we serve the body of Christ, it can't be supremely for our own benefit at all. It needs to be for God first and then for that, the, the best for that other person. And then, of course, we get blessed, but the primary purpose of it is to glorify God and to be obedient to what he says and have a love for his people because he has a love for his people. So he's saying, I, I didn't see you as a means to an end. I didn't try to fleece you. Um, you know, and he goes over all these things, how that he and the team, you know, namely Silas and uh, Timothy, how they lived when they were among them. And what that's supposed to produce in the life of the, of the, of the Thessalonian Christian at that time is to show that, that, their, uh, that his legitimate faith uh, and their legitimate faith had to go together. Because if he wasn't legitimate, then they weren't legitimate. But he said, you yourselves know how God has worked in your life. You yourselves know how you're different. You yourselves know how you've been changed. And that's a result of my ministry. So you wouldn't, if I wasn't legitimate, then that you couldn't have been changed. But you have been changed, thus I am legitimate. So that's kind of the reasoning. Now this week, Paul's going to express more love to him as if you know, I mean, how much love can this guy, uh, you know, communicate to them? And, you know, he, but he's still, he just can't help himself. He just loves them. He, he's, he's a, a God-ordained uh, shepherd of their souls, and he wants to help them. He wants to uh, bless them and have them grow. And so he, he does that. He's going to explain also why he is, and this is how he expresses his love. He's going to explain why uh, he sent Timothy and also he's going to encourage them in other ways with respect to persecution and affliction. Why is that important? Why is it important that they get a proper perspective and encouragement in the context of uh, persecution? Well, because he knows that they, they could be stumbled, and that's what he's going to get into. That they could be stumbled, they could, they could uh, you know, he says, I don't, I don't want to have believed down the road that I came to you in vain. He says that they're under a spiritual attack and so forth. And, and so he says some things to them that really, really will help uh, a believer, any believer, to be able to navigate trials and difficulty, and, and it's really, you know, persecution here, but it, it's more broader than that. Anything that, that God is uh, leading us in, and it's difficult and so forth, that is something that wants to, the enemy wants to capitalize on and buff, use to buffet our lives uh, against what God wants for us. Now, verses 1 through 3, Paul's going to explain why he sent Timothy to them. I'm sure Timothy mentioned it to, to them, but he wants to explain from his own heart and his own perspective why he sent uh, Timothy. But 
we want to get into that, but for a little bit of context, because these chapter breaks were added later, I want us to begin back in verse 17 of chapter 2. So if you can look back at verse 17 in chapter 2, and we'll begin right into our text this morning. In verse 17 of chapter 2, he says, For we, brethren, having been taken away from you for a short time in presence, not in heart, endeavored more eagerly to see your face with great desire. Therefore, we wanted to come to you, even I, Paul, time and again, but Satan hindered us. For what is our hope our, or joy or crown of rejoicing? Is it not even you in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ at his coming? For you are our glory and joy. Therefore, when we could no longer endure it, we thought it good to be left in Athens alone and sent Timothy, our brother and minister of God and our fellow laborer in the gospel of Christ to establish you and encourage you concerning your faith. Now we see it right, right off the bat, right out of the gate, we see in verse 1 him use the word we. And that's not a major, uh, anything of major significance, but it's noteworthy because we see that Paul, Silas, and Timothy were in agreement. He doesn't say, therefore, when I could no longer endure it, I thought it would be good. You know, it, it could have originated from Paul, most likely it did, but it rang true by the Holy Spirit to the other people, and that's important. Because as we're serving the Lord and as we're ministering and we're serving with other people, the Holy Spirit will speak to everybody involved and it confirms what he wants. It's, it's a safeguard for us. But he says we could no longer endure it. What's he speaking of? Being away from them. Could no longer stand the thought of these believers being without help. And, and so he says, we could no longer endure it. Now the word endure there is a very interesting word. It's a word that they would use uh, to describe when, uh, when they would put pitch on, the, on, a, on a ship and it, it would leak in to, inside the boat. So they, the, that, that's the word. So he's saying, basically he's saying, uh, we could no longer stop the leaking of concern for you to, to penetrate our hearts. We had to, we had to do something about it because it's, we couldn't, we couldn't block it anymore. We couldn't protect it from this concern that we have. You, you may remember in Second Corinthians when, when Paul, um, after this point here, he describes that a lot of his trials and the things that he went through, he lists this whole long thing of horrible persecution and beatings and shipwreck and all these things, beaten with rods and uh, spending time in the, in the ocean and the sea, uh, floating around there for a day and, you know, treading water is a skill. You know, I'm sure he took advantage of it, trying to, to stay alive and hold on to some part of the ship or whatever. But at the end of that, he says, and above all else, my daily concern for all the churches. It was something that just permeated who he was because he loved all these people that, that God had used or God had used him in their lives to help them come to Christ. And so he's saying we couldn't, we couldn't withstand anymore. We had to let, we had to give in somehow. And, and he says what we did was we sent Timothy. And if you remember, and I'm not going to go into the whole thing again, you can listen to the, to the MP3 or whatever on the website if you missed it. But Paul, there was a lot of chronology going on with there because Paul came to, to Philippi from, uh, or Thessalonica rather, Thessalonica, whatever the name, the city. Uh, he came, from, came to there from Philippi, had been persecuted, and then he came into Thessalonica and was persecuted, left to Berea. The people in Berea followed him, persecuted him in Berea, and then he left uh, without the guys to Athens, and then they caught up with him, and then, then that's what we see here. Then he couldn't, along, he couldn't endure it any longer. He's like, what is happening with these Thessalonians? They're new believers. 
They've only been Christians for three weeks. What, if, if, if I got that kind of treatment, what are they getting right now? And he's, he just couldn't stand it anymore. So he says, I had to send Timothy there. And Timothy does, and then Timothy makes it back to, to Corinth as he moves on to Corinth there and then gives him this good report. So he says, I sent uh, um, Timothy, but before he gets to that in the end of verse 1, I want you to see the word alone there. We thought it good to be, to be left in Athens alone. That's not insignificant because this team was, was his protection. Was his, you know, they were in unity. They were standing up for one another. I mean, Jesus always sent people out in twos. I mean, to have someone by themselves, is very, you're very vulnerable. And so Paul is saying, I was very vulnerable. And so we know that Paul paid, paid a price. And we know that because in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 3, we're told this. He says, I was with you in weakness, in fear, and in much trembling. He's talking about when he first came to them. And so when he first came to them, that's what we're talking about here. He first came to, the Corinthian, to Corinth, and he was trembling. He was afraid. He, he didn't really have um, the, the kind of success he had thought about having or thought he would have in Athens there. And so he says, that's how I came to you. But he says, I really, really care. And a, and a, a true uh, Christian that loves the Lord and loves his people really cares. And especially for Paul being a leader, he is a true shepherd. The Lord Jesus said in John chapter 10, verses 11 through 13, this. He said, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. But a hireling, he who is not the shepherd, one who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf catches the sheep and scatters them. The hireling flees because he is a hireling and does not care about the sheep. Paul's a true shepherd. He's going after, he's, he's, he's pursuing them, he's wanting what's best for them. He just couldn't take it anymore. We should have the same heart for the people we're serving, that same heart of concern for their souls, that same heart to help them and to serve them. And all of us are called to disciple somebody or to disciple other Christians just by functioning in our gifts. And we talked about all these areas of ministry that are, that are waiting to be taken advantage of in our fellowship here. And we announced in, in the announcements. Those are, those are going to bless God's people, people serving in those areas. Because the sum total of all of our serving, led by the Holy Spirit, makes the church what God intends it to be. And so Paul is saying, I had this heart for you. And, and it shows that he wasn't a hireling. He wasn't doing it for money. He's doing it because he was called, and God had called him to it. Now, notice Paul gives us the reason for sending Timothy in verse 3. He says that no one should be taken by these afflictions, for you yourselves know that we are appointed to this. So he says, I'm sending Timothy. He's our brother and minister of God, a fellow laborer. He's, he's legitimate. That's basically what he's saying to them in those three ways of describing Timothy. He's legitimate there in verse Two, but I'm giving you the reason in verse 3 that no one should be shaken by these afflictions. See, this church had experienced persecution from the very beginning. Because from the very beginning of when Paul came, they started getting that persecution. And it had continued all the way into this present time, which is at the most two months after they had come to know the Lord. It, could, it could literally could be uh, five or six weeks after uh, they had come to, to know the Lord. And so that's why Paul wrote in Thessalonians, uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 6, he says, And you became followers of us and the Lord, having received the word in much affliction, with joy of the Holy Spirit. So right there in verse 6 of chapter 1, he says that 
you received, you came, became followers and you received the word in the context of much affliction. So that had, they, their relationship with God began in that context. They know, they know no other context. Like it's, it's like us uh, knowing what it's like to, to pastor and to lead this church in the context of in, in a, an economy that's not the Great Recession. I don't know what it's like. I have no idea what it's like to, to, to pastor this church in the, when there's no massive recession going on. That's all, that's all we know. And, and to, like, to them, that's all they knew is persecution, persecution, persecution. And so Paul knows they're very vulnerable to this. And so Paul knew the danger that could be, uh, you know, being realized in their lives, and he, he had to find out what was going on. He just was, it was killing him. I got to find out what's going on. I need to help them. And so that's why he's so relieved to hear that they're doing great. Can you imagine Paul's response? He's waiting there in Corinth. He's going through a very difficult time there in Corinth. He, he doesn't know what's, what's happening with that church. He'd sent Timothy some time before. Timothy comes, and of course, you can just see him running to Timothy and giving him a hug and just, oh, so relieved that there's someone else in the kingdom of God in this town <laughs> besides me. And so here he comes, and he gives him a hug, and it's his son in the faith and everything, and then the next question out of his mouth, how's the church in Thessalonica? Oh, Paul, they are doing so well. It'll, I'm not sure you didn't say it'll blow your mind. Maybe there's a Greek equivalent of that. But it, it would just bless your heart. They're doing this and they're doing this. They're loving one another and the, their reputation is going out. And Paul's just, you can imagine the encouragement it was to him. Here he is giving everything. He's risking his life. He's trembling and fear, fearful coming into that city. In fact, Jesus is going to appear to him and he's going to encourage him and say, I have many people in this city. So God's going to compensate him more than just this way, but this was a very secure or, or substantive, rather, way that he could be encouraged. And so he's concerned about them. So he doesn't want them shaken. You know, he says that there. I don't want them uh, shaken. That's the, that's the motivation for him sending uh, Timothy, that none, no one should be shaken by these afflictions. And that's an interesting word because they would use this word in Greek, to describe what a dog does when he's excited, shaking, wagging his tail. I'm amazed sometimes how fast those dogs can get their, I mean, we're talking about alternative energy in our country. We should somehow tap that energy, you know, and power our homes off that because they get so excited. You could be insulting them and saying something in a real nice tone of voice, but saying insults to them and they're wagging their tail. And, and, and the idea is their tail is, is unstable. That's the idea. Their tail is going one direction, then the next. And, and not having any stability there. That's the, the picture. That's what Paul's trying to paint for them, for them to see. I don't want you shaken. I don't want these afflictions to cause you to be unstable and have you move all over the place. That's, that's the picture. And so Paul adds there in the middle of verse 3, uh, for you yourselves know that we are appointed to this. Ouch. <laughs> appointed to afflictions? As it's been said, you don't see those little promise boxes that go on kitchen tables and things where you take a promise of the Bible out. Not really seeing that promise there. Not really seeing that we have an appointment to affliction. But it's the truth. God's people have an appointment with a life that deals with affliction. And so I know that's not the, the perkiest subject and something that people just love to talk about, especially in our culture where so much of the focus is on ourselves and, and, and you know, trying to make our, our lives the most comfortable lives that we can possibly make them. But, but Paul's telling them the truth. Paul loves them enough to tell them the truth. It's very difficult to tell people the truth. 
sometimes because you know that they're going to lash out at you. But the point is you you're, you're, you're have a responsibility before God to tell people the truth in love. So Paul tells them that there, and, and, and I'm sure they covered this in person when they were there because he says it. He says we already know this, but we need to be uh, reminded. So God says, I've appointed you to affliction. Jesus told us this would be the case. You may, you may remember in John 15 where he said this, if the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. Yet because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will keep yours also. But all these things they will do to you for my name's sake, because they do not know him who, have, who sent me. So he's saying no servant's greater than his master. Expect this. I told you ahead of time. Right after that, he said in John chapter 16, he said in verse 33, These things I have spoken to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. I think it's important. Here Paul says, I already told you this. This is not new information that you're going to have this appointment of affliction. He told him from the very beginning. And we do a disservice to new believers or even in our evangelism when we paint a picture of the Christian life as just a, a life where God's just going to make everything wonderful all the time and you're never going to have any problems and all of that. We have peace with God that surpasses all understanding. We're right with him. We have joy that uh, you know, goes beyond what our circumstances dictate. We have a very difficult life as a Christian, but it's full of many things. But we have to tell them that that life is the life. And that's what Paul did. He warned them. I, when I share my faith, I tell them it's not going to be easy. I tell them the truth. Because if the Holy Spirit's uh, getting through to them, because he's, he's drawing everybody, and they're allowing them in, there's, I, can't talk, I, I can't talk them out of it. They're going to want to re receive Christ. And so God told us ahead of time these afflictions would, would come. Now I want us to go a little bit backwards in a sense of looking back at something at verse 2 now, even though we're on verse 3, so don't worry, I'm not backsliding here, I'm going backwards. It's on purpose, there's a reason. But I want us to see how Paul aims to protect them from being shaken. See, the goal of why Paul is sending Timothy is to, is to uh, uh, keep them from being shaken with these afflictions, but the end of verse 2 tells us how Timothy was to accomplish this. Look with me at the end of verse 2. He says, to establish you and encourage you concerning your faith. So the end goal was to keep them from, from being shaken, but, but Timothy did it by uh, establishing them and encouraging them in their faith. Again, once again, these people were brand new Christians, baby Christians here. They've only been saved a, f a few weeks. They're bearing fruit, and it's wonderful. Paul is encouraging them in that, but they were far from having an arrival regarding their uh, spiritual uh, growth there. And more growth was needed, and he, and he knew that. Again, I say this all the time, but it's, we need to keep hearing it over and over again. God's goal for us supremely is our maturity, not our happiness, not our comfort. God's goal for us is maturity. That comes through different means. There's brokenness that God brings in our lives. And that happens many times by having unmet expectations. And we, we have to, it, God uses that to show us that he's the Lord of our lives. We're not the Lord of our lives. We don't get to dictate how our life's supposed to be and then have him come over and rubber stamp it. We don't lead him around life. He said, come and follow me. 
We're following him. Those disciples, when he called them, didn't say, well, let me consider this. Where are we going? How long will we be there? Uh, when are we coming back? They just dropped everything and they left. And I also believe that that is a supernatural work of the Spirit because that's not natural for someone to drop everything and not ask any questions. God was drawing them and he revealed to them that this was the Messiah and it was worth everything. But he does the same for us when we come to know Christ. He reveals this is the truth. This is the Messiah. This is the Son of God. This, this is the person that's wanting to forgive us of our sins who died to make that happen. And so it's not any less significant for us but he's still leading our lives around. We're not asking him to follow uh, us. The more mature these Thessalonians were, the better. The less vulnerable they were. And the less that they'd question God. That's usually what happens, isn't it, when we're going through a trial? We're questioning him. If God is, is, is loving, then why is he allowing this? But we could see somebody in the exact same circumstances next door to us or across the street or in our family. It doesn't bother us at all. We're not troubled by that. We're not troubled by God allowing Christians to be persecuted. I mean, we're not, we're not just, you know, criticizing God over that. All people, Christians go through all kinds of horrific things, and we're, we're okay with it in the sense that we don't believe that God's done anything wrong and forgotten them, but when it comes to us, sometimes that whole picture changes, and we start blaming him, and I, I'm not saying that to condemn anyone if, the, if, if you've fallen in that way. I think maybe we all have fallen in, in some, in some way or another with questioning God's purposes and, and his ways and so forth. So he says, be encouraged because, because they're at risk of thinking the wrong thing regarding what God was doing. He's not angry at you. He also uh, reveals that it's our will, it's, it's his will sometimes to lead us in these ways. You know, Paul was in God's will the whole time. So he's living out this appointment uh, with affliction there. And so sometimes we think, can this possibly be the will of God for me, that, I, that I'm going through this? And, and sometimes we're out of God's will or whatever, and God redirects us and changes us. But there are many times when we are exactly in God's will, and it's so difficult, we just question that. Because how could God ever allow me to be in this situation? I want to encourage you today. God has asked God's people to go through many, many difficult things. And it been, it's been God's will. And we have probably been okay with that. We read Hebrews 11 and see everything they, that those, those saints went through. We're okay with it. They're mistreated, sawed in two. We're, we're not mad at God. But he does these things, some of these things in our lives. And, and like, whoa, 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 wait a minute. But we have to be okay with that as well. He's not going to waste any of those things for his purposes in our lives. He's going to use them to further conform us to his image. All things work together for good to those that are the called, that love God and are the called according to his purpose. But God gets to define what good is. And he does in the next verse, in verse 29, where he says that he can further conforms us in the image of his son. Now Paul continues in verse 4, he says, For in fact we told you before when we were with you that we would suffer tribulation, just as it happened, and you know. For this reason, when I could no longer endure it, he uses that word again, I sent to know your faith, lest by some means the tempter had tempted you, and our labor might be in vain. When Paul was with them, he foretold of his persecution. Because they're partly concerned about him, I'm sure. He's also told them ahead of time about their own persecution. But in part, you know, they're concerned about him. And he said, I told you that this was coming. I told you it happened just like it did. So don't be caught off guard by this. Don't let this stumble you. Don't let the enemy tell you that I wasn't legitimate uh, through these other people that might be hurling insults to me that 
the, the reason why everything that's happened to me is happening, and, and, and you potentially, is because I'm not legitimate. It's not the case. And so uh, he tries to encourage them, and, and I'm sure that it was very encouraging to them. But he says, I don't want my, my, the work that's happened to you, to uh, our labor, that, that that might be in vain. That, that what we did among you was a, was, was a waste because of you, your faith being shipwrecked or you questioning God or not being used anymore, whatever it is. Because God had many plans for you regarding me coming to you. And so he's trying to say, be careful. And that's why, we're, that's why I sent Timothy. That's why I'm sending you this letter now. <laughs> uh, because I want you to be protected against that. He says in verse 6, But now that Timothy has come to us from you and brought us good news of your faith and love, and that you always have good remembrance of us, greatly desiring to see us as we also to see you, therefore, brethren, in all our affliction and distress, we were comforted concerning you by your faith. Notice the word your at the end of verse 7. By your faith. Paul, Paul, again, he's there and he hears this great news. And he brought this good news. He says good news in verse 6. That he brought us good news of your faith and love. Not just faith, but love as well. Faith and love. And then he says, I love this, that, that you had good remembrance of us. See, it's very possible that these other people that were hurling these insults or uh, just the Thessalonians seeing the way that they had to leave town could soured their opinion of Paul and the team. And so, because Paul isn't being ultra insensitive, or in, um, he's not being, um, you know, where you're insecure at all, worried about what they think for his sake. He knows that what they think about him is directly related to their spiritual health and, and persevering. So he's saying that you always, I've heard from Timothy that you always have good remembrance of us. That blessed him. Because he had good remembrance of them, and he loved them. And, and he also says there in verse 6 that, that Timothy told him that they're greatly desiring to see him and the team there. And he goes, and I want you to know, just like we greatly desire to see you. And he's going to pray for that, as we're going to see in, in a few minutes. So he says, therefore, brethren, in all our affliction and distress, we were comforted concerning you by your faith. How does that happen? How could Paul get encouraged by their faith? How could that help them? I mean, in the context of his affliction and distress and needs and persecution, you know why? How, how that could be used by God in his life? Because it tells him that it's worth it. It shows him that God's using him. It validates all the effort and the labor and the toil that he's working at or working with in, in preaching the gospel and sacrificing. Sometimes we think of Paul as this man doesn't have any feelings, and he's just this machine, this church planning machine. He had very tender feelings. He was hurt by people. Don't ever think because someone doesn't tell you that they're hurt, that they're not hurt. I get hurt fairly often by Christians uh, that, for, for whatever reason, they, they say something that hurts my feelings. I never say anything, but it hurts my feelings. And so we have to be careful what we say and what we do. But we can't underestimate the power of a growing walk with Christ in the lives of other people. Maybe you haven't thought about that recently, or ever. That your faithfulness to the Lord, and your, your following Christ, and you being obedient to what he says, and you growing in your faith, and your faithfulness, and your consistency, actually helps other people in their walk, even if they never say a word. It makes a huge difference. 
When you see people faithfully serving and serving and, and, and giving their lives away and loving God's people day in and day out, week in and week out, month after month, year after year, decade after decade, I know it's incredibly an, an incredible encouragement to people that are around me when I first became a Christian, like Garth, who came and taught here before, and other people. They see, they see how God's uh, matured me in my faith and how that's still growing and that's still happening. That's incredible encouragement. But even if you're not in that discipleship-type mode with somebody else, the fact that you're faithful year in and year out tells them it's worth it. It's worth it. And I'm in the truth with someone that's leading by example. So all of our examples are very, very powerful uh, to people, and especially here as we see to Paul. It brought him comfort to know that. And he says how important it is in verse 8. For now we live if you stand fast in the Lord. It's our life. You're, you're our life. To hear good news about where you're at in the Lord and how you're growing, that's, that's what we exist on. That's what sustains us because of how you stand fast and are faithful in the Lord. We need to stand fast in the Lord. Out in this world today, there's so much flakiness. There's so much inconsistency. When you just halfway keep up or uh, live up to what you say you're going to do, it's a huge mind blower for people. He actually says he does what he says he's going to do. And his word means something. That's getting harder and harder to find in our uh, culture there. So he says it makes a difference for us to be uh, consistent. Verse 9. For what thanks can we render to God for you? For all the joy with which we rejoice for your sake before our God, night and day, praying exceedingly that we may see your face and perfect what is lacking in your faith. Here Paul's expressing his thankfulness. And to whom is he thankful? Look at the verse there in verse 9. God. He wasn't taking credit for them. He wasn't saying that I, I need to really thank myself here because uh, the, what's happened in your life. He doesn't do it. That's why he says, I thank God for you. And he doesn't, Paul, I, I don't really even remember any time where he thanks the people for their faithfulness. In the, in the, he always is thanking God for the, his remembrance of people and so forth. He acknowledges it's their growth and he appreciates it and he encourages that. But I don't know that he just directly thanks people in the New Testament or any other writer there in the New Testament or even in the Old Testament. Um, so he says, this is, this is something that's important. I'm thanking God for it. And, and he, he wants to, and he prays uh, to, to see them and to, and to have a chance to help them grow uh, in their faith once more. And of course, he didn't uh, waste any time by writing this letter. So it immediately started. You know, he didn't waste any time. He got right on it. But he wanted to see them face to face, and he wanted to perfect what is lacking. Now, was he, was he aiming at being, getting them to be perfect? Is that what he thought was possible? No. That word means to complete. So he says, I want to complete what is lacking in your faith. And they're already growing. They're already bearing fruit. They're already doing all these things that Paul didn't even have to say anything to other people about their progression in their faith. But he knew that they were still lacking. See, no matter how mature we are in the Lord, we still have room to grow. So that's important for us. Some of us have walked with the Lord for decades. We need to keep growing. We need to keep pressing forward. We need to keep running that race. Paul didn't say that you get to stop running the race at some point within your life. When you leave this tent and you get your new body, your, your ministry is, is over in, in that earthly sense. And that's when you have finished uh, the race. So, he's, so he, 
he kind of lets us in on this, this, uh, you know, this prayer that he has for them, because he says, we're going to, you know, we exceedingly pray for you, but we're just going to let you know what we're praying right now by praying for you. So he's, 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 it's his God's goal and his priority is for us to keep growing. Are you growing in your faith? It's a good thing to ask all of us. Are you growing? Are you becoming more and more like Christ? When he shows you things that you need to change, are you repenting? Are you in willful disobedience now? Uh, let's see, what's some other things that we can all be guilty of? <laughs> uh, you know, how's your devotional life? How's the time where you spend with him every day? Is that growing and is it there? And, you know, this isn't a co- condemnation or guilt trip session here, but he, need, he knows that we need to grow. He knows that we need to keep progressing. And I know that's in part why you're here, is obedience to the Lord and what he said, but also to grow and to, to become more mature in your faith. But God has expectations, regarding each one of our lives. They're unique for each one of us. Some of us, you know, are dealing with different things than others, but there's an expectation that he has. I want to read to you a verse from Hebrews chapter 5, and it's Hebrews chapter 5, verse 12, where we're told this, for, through, for, for though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the first principles of the oracles of God, and you have come to need milk and not solid food. That's pretty significant there. He said that you should be teachers by now. Not that everyone has the gift of teaching, but we all model God's truth and, and the reality of who he is in our lives. But he's talking about some of these people that have that gift. You should be teachers by now. Maybe you never considered that God wants you to be a teacher. Maybe he has that, that, that for you. I don't know. But I know that learning God's word and being a student of the word and, and going deep in the things, and some of you are very much going deep into the word and growing. That, so he says, those are expectations that God has for you. It's not up to us how fast we grow. Sometimes, again, we're man-centered even in that. You know, well, this year, 2012, yeah, I think so. This is the year that I start growing with Christ. <laughs> God's will is that every year we're growing with Christ. And the extent to which we grow is the extent to which we'll bring him glory, bless his heart, and be used by him. And that's what he's aiming at for all of us. Now, Paul just starts praying these things in verse 11. He says, Now may our God and Father himself, our Lord Jesus, and our Lord Jesus Christ, direct our way to you. So it wasn't up to him. Again, God's leading him. He's not leading God. And verse 12, May the the Lord make you increase and abound in love to one another and to all, just as we do to you, so that we may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God uh, and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all the saints. So he says, first of all, I'm praying now. I'm saying, I'm praying for you in general. Here I am. I just can't wait. You know, he's praying while he's dictating or writing or whatever. And he, this is a prayer, verse 11 through 13. It's a prayer. And he's, this is God's will for us. If the Holy Spirit led the Apostle Paul to pray these things for this church, and God shows no partiality, and he's the same yesterday, today, and forever, then he wants these things for us as well. And so let's look at those to increase and abound in love for one another. That's the first thing. Always increasing in love for one another. Why would he pray for this? Because that's not something that we always naturally increase in. And so what, what is agape love? Agape love is selfless. Uh, Christian agape love is selfless, uh, sacrificial love, where you do what's best for the other person, even at your own expense. That's a very good description of love. So he says, increase, increase and abound in love. And many of you are. Many of you are. 
And it's a beautiful thing to see. And I know he just wants us to continue in that. And I know that Jesus is interceding for us these very same things. He's praying for us, each individually, that we would increase in love for one another. Also, that, that, that uh, we would be, um, our hearts would be established blameless in holiness. Now, Paul isn't afraid to say, follow my example. And I think that God isn't just reserving people that can say that uh, to people that are apostles. I think he wants everyone us to be able to say, follow my example. Not be perfect, of course, but we use perfection or how we can't even come close to that as an excuse to not uh, grow sometimes. And so he's saying, no, be be an example. And so he wants to establish our hearts blameless, not perfect or flawless, but but blameless in holiness. God's will for our lives is holiness. This world's getting worse and worse and worse. And, and people are compromising more and more and more, even in professing Christianity kind of environments. It's getting more and more, the bar is getting lowered and lowered and lowered, and we can't go by what everyone says to determine whether or not something is, is legitimate. We have to go to the scriptures. And there's a lot of things that are in the kind of the church conversation or church world that are not biblical. We have to test things by scripture alone. His word will outlive the heavens and the earth. It will have the final say. Jesus said, if you love me, why don't you obey what I say? Simple question. And I bet you there was silence there, and just like there's silence now when he asks us that, uh, when we're guilty. So um, he's saying this is what God's will is. These Christians are in a storm. God's priority for them is for them to uh, weather the storm well. And, and, and that's what Paul's intent is for sending Timothy and all of that. Storms and, and trials, I should say, trials and difficulty and persecution, it brings out um, sometimes the best in us, sometimes it brings out the worst in us. And, and how we live our lives now is going to determine how we deal with those things in the future. The Lord Jesus said in Matthew chapter 7, verses 24 through 27, he said, Therefore, whoever hears my sayings of mine and does them, not just hearing, and does them, I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, and it did not fall, for it was founded on the rock. But everyone who hears these sayings of mine and does not do them, so both camps heard it, only one was the difference, and that was that they obeyed, will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain descended, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, and it fell, and, the, and great was the fall. And I think that's important for us to see at the end of that verse there, and great was the fall. We think we're wise, you know, in our own eyes, and we have it all figured out, and we know what's best using common sense and, and, and all these things sometimes. But God says, no, my, the obedience to my words is what's going to prepare you for the future. Even now, obviously, when you're in a storm, obedience is very important, of course. But those that have a life of obedience, that their life characterizes obedience to the Lord, they're, prepa- they're building a foundation for future storms. And when, the, and when, not if, when those storms come, then we see what that foundation really is. And I've seen people in both contexts over my 22 years of knowing Christ where disobedience marked their life. And when the storm came, their lives were crum- just crumbled. And they, they went down, down the wrong way, down, you know, downward spiral even, even worse. But those that you know, uh, were obedient to God and lived their lives in obedience to him, when those things came, was it difficult? Absolutely. Did they have moments of doubt? Yes. Did they, you know, I'm not saying they were perfect in any of this, but their houses stood because they had built upon the rock by obeying what God had said all leading up to that time. So that's a good thing. What Paul's thinking for this church is, 
you haven't had a, a long Christian life to be building the, the, the great foundation. And the storm just hits you right off the bat. You didn't even have a chance to build a foundation. So he's anxious to get back to him and help them. But we don't have that excuse. We've walked with the Lord for a while, most of us. So God's saying, obey what I say. It's important to, to live your life in holiness and, and, and to uh, aim to have Christ fulfill his life in, in that holiness as I engage the body of Christ and others. Because he doesn't just say the body of Christ. Notice he says at the end of verse 12, and to all. He's not just talking about Christians, to those on the outside too. They need to see uh, Christ's love as well. So very, very important. As I close, Hebrews chapter 2 verse 10 says that Jesus learned obedience by the things in which he suffered. Very important. If Jesus had to learn obedience by the things that he suffered, then why don't we? And the, and the apostle Paul is laying out this beautiful case saying, it's appointed for you, this affliction. Don't be stumbled by it. It's, it's appointed by God. His grace is sufficient for you. People are watching your life, whether things are going well or things are going poorly in your life. People are watching your life and they come to conclusions about your God based on how you live your life. And, and it brings incredible encouragement to them when you're faithful and you are godly and you are walking through whatever is going on in your life. It's an encouragement and it's used by God. Sometimes I believe God allows things in our lives just for the simple reason that other people are going to be encouraged through you going through it in a, by a, certain, in a certain way. And for sure, uh, you know, others that are watching that are, that are um, uh, closer to us. This world's unraveling. It's getting worse and worse and worse. Many of us are going through very difficult times in our walk with the Lord. So he just wants to encourage you today to walk with him, walk closely with him. Uh, go deep into the things of the Lord. Whenever you're getting attacked, go deeper into the, the, the things of the Lord and, and walk with him and grow because he wants to use all of it in our lives. Let's pray together. Lord, we are so grateful that you are patient with us. We're so needy of you. We recognize how frail we are. You know that we're but dust. I pray, Lord, you'd bring encouragement to those that are going through affliction right now. I pray that you would bring uh, the type of perspective that only your Holy Spirit can. I pray, Lord, that you would um, open up your word to them and you would bring encouragement. I pray that you would lead them to reach out for help and to get prayer and to get support, Lord. Help them, encourage them, lift their heads today. And I pray, Lord, for the rest of us, whoever we are that are not going through those things right now. I pray that you would help us to be sensitive to others around us who are. Help us, Lord. Help us to see the needs. We know, Jesus, that when you went into a room, you always ministered to the one with the greatest need. Help us to be like you in seeing the greatest need in our midst, wherever we are. We thank you that you, we get to live a different kind of life. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.